welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. My name is Amy McNeil. I lost my brother Samuel to a heroin overdose on October 23rd, 2015. He was 28. As a family, we thought we were prepared to help Sam fight addiction, but we were painfully mistaken. My family founded Cover 2 Resources in memory of Sam. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Greg McNeil from Cover 2 Resources. To fight adolescent drug abuse, schools across the U.S. have been striving to implement more effective drug abuse prevention and education programs. Despite investing millions of dollars into prevention programming, such as D.A.R.E. and Nancy Reagan's Just Say No campaign, studies have revealed the majority of them have been ineffective in deterring our country's youth from drug use. Even more disturbing is the unintended consequences of some one-size-fits-all prevention programs, where the education provided actually triggers misuse in specific personality types. An evidence-based youth prevention and education program to reduce drug and alcohol use in high-risk teenagers, as identified through a personality-based screening program, has been uh, getting some recognition now around the world. The program, called Preventure, was rolled out in the middle school in Bay Village, Ohio, last year. And joining me today to introduce us to that program is Chris Malarkey, the school social studies teacher from Bay Middle School, and Jim Cahoon, who helped initiate the Preventure program, as well as Aaron Ereditario, who is the principal. Before we begin the interviews from my visit with the team at Bay Middle School, I want to play a clip from a presentation Dr. Patricia Conrad did, where she explains the framework for the Preventure program she and her team developed. One is there's a recognition that most substance use disorders have their symptom, their first symptom onset uh, during adolescence. Um, so even though it's an adult disorder, the onset of the disorder appears to be in childhood years and adolescence. Um, the earlier the onset of the first symptom, the greater the risk for future problems, and that's been document, documented in a number of different epidemiologic and clinical studies. And we also know that the earlier onset um, substance users tend to have much more severe course, a more complex course of the disorder associated with a number of health and social consequences. But there's also been this more recent um, focus on addiction from a developmental perspective with um, some of the newer findings in, in developmental neuroscience. So up until about 10, 15 years ago, um, many people believed, um, because they were simply focusing on uh, brain uh, structure or volume or neuropsychological tasks um, and uh, general IQ tasks, that most of cognitive and neural development was complete by the end of childhood, by about 11 years of age. But what we know now through much more sophisticated neuroimaging and neuropsychological studies is that the, the adolescent 
period is a period of extreme neurodevelopment, and it's not so much about the brain growing, but it's about the brain um, going through changes to allow it to be a more efficient machine. So there's pruning and there's um, um, strengthenings of associations and circuits. And the very circuits that appear to be um, changing during the adolescent periods are those same circuits that we've been talking about all morning and afternoon, and that's stratofrontal um, circuits. And what we know is that young people with substance use disorders have impairments in those very circuits. So the very big question today is, is it possible that the early onset of substance use and its risk for future disorders is due to some form of neurotoxicity during the adolescent years? Jim, I want to begin with you. Let's begin by talking about what made you and the school system consider a program like Preventure for Bay Middle School. Mr. McNeil, it uh, basically came out of uh, feeling guilty. We had a number of children who had died um, due to opioid abuse or suicide, which was opioid-related. And um, we we were feeling guilty that we, as the administrators of the building who had seen these children uh, graduate from our schools, um, die when they turned 23 to 30 years old. And we wondered, what had we done wrong? A tragic number of them were lost, weren't they? We're now up to 20 over the course of 20 years. So we formed a group called Our Children Are Dying. It included um, uh, both our mayor, our police, people in the schools, community members, and we were trying to look for a way that we could, A, face the opioid issue head on. Um, We determined that we were going to have an assembly, an informational assembly, where we were going to memorialize the children who had died from opioid abuse at that point in time. We then said, well, that was an event. We needed something more. And so thanks to uh, Amy Fritz, who, who was our speaker and her son, Russell Brill, unfortunately, um, passed away due to opioid uh, use, um, she touted us on to the Preventure Program. And we participated in a webinar. We um, gathered data. We called schools that had been using it. We had uh, several uh, face-to-face meetings over FaceTime with uh, Patricia Conrad, who is the professor at the University of Montreal that began the program. The creator of the program. Yes, And um, she was incredibly helpful in us um, trying to wrap our arms around how not only is this an idea, but how we could implement it in the school. I want to pivot to Chris, if we could. So when you decided you had this epiphany that, you know what, we really have to do something. We've got to do something different for our kids. And you started looking out there at all of the possibilities for prevention programming. What made you land on Preventure? Well, I was not one of the initial people checking out these particular programs. Um, I was just a volunteer. And one of the reasons why um, when Sean McAndrews, who with Jim, were the ones who were um, piloting this program here and brought it in, um, these children who had died were children I had in my classroom. These children who died, some of them 
um, were brothers and sisters of, of those children that I carpooled with to preschool. I knew these children. I knew these families. Um, and I think having them in our classrooms, I know in talking with other teachers who were also volunteering, we were all touched by it. So we needed a sense of hopefulness, and we felt that, you know, we as teachers here in Bay, we help raise children. That's what we do. And this particular program gave us another opportunity to offer hope and to offer tools to children um, as to what to do um, when presented with a choice. So, Erin, it seems as though uh, the community, leaders in your community, your educators, they were kind of at a crossroads there in 2016 where they felt as though the programming that you had in place wasn't working. Is that safe to say? For, for prevention, this is, I'm talking about. Yeah, I, I, you know, Jim started off by talking about numbers of kids in their 20s that died from uh, opioid use. And, um, you know, one's too many. 14's huge. 20, it's, it's kind of unbelievable. Um, so um, to say that we reflected and realized there was something ineffective going on would, would be accurate. So, but it would have been so easy to say, well, you know, they're 20 years old. That's really, we did our job, passed them along, and then something happened along the way. But you decided to take a different tact and take ownership for that and embrace a new program. How difficult was that to make that step, make that leap? Well, I mean, I have to give a lot of credit to Mr. Cahoon sitting here, Jason Martin, the high school principal, and Sean McAndrews, the former middle school principal who have had uh, um, the honor of, of filling his position, uh, those three guys really um, were very humble in making an assessment and saying, as leaders in our community and working with our kids, that we, we do need to do something. So when you have people that are in, in, in positions of influence saying there's something that's not going well and then leading a change, um, it was easy for our community leaders like our mayor or city council members or uh, parents who have had significant loss to be a part of that. But I think it was the leadership that was humble enough to say we probably should rethink what we're doing because it's, it's ineffective currently. Jim talked about introducing the Preventure program to the seventh graders' parents. We were lucky uh, when we presented the program to uh, the parents. Um, we brought in sixth-grade parents uh, whose children were going to be seventh-graders in the fall. They were exceptionally um, receptive to the concept. Um, they understood the idea that if we were targeting a personality characteristic that was in their child that might lead to them having a greater chance of fighting off drugs, alcohol, possibilities, they were all for it because there certainly was enough data out there saying that the one-size-fits-all didn't work. And so let's try a targeted approach. And if that has success, then hopefully we can continue that for some time to come. So let's go through those profiles, if we could. Walk us through that, if you could, Chris. Preventure <laughs> identifies four particular profiles um, one of them is sensation seekers, those kids who just love the thrills. 
Um, and those were the most talkative kids <laughs> in the entire program. Um, a second identified group were those children who were impulsive, um, those who had a very difficult time saying no to anything. A ADHD kids, that seemed to be a quality um, that they had. Another was the um, anxiety-sensitive children, and it was almost being fearful about fear itself. Those kids were in a, a, a group of their own. And the last group were the negative thinkers um, that one would say would be very hopeless about what might what choices might be presented to them. The whole program is very confidential. So the children don't know who's in the group until they get there, and they certainly don't know who is in the other groups. Um, we promote confidentiality, and we start each session with, this is confidential, what we say here, everybody must feel safe in sharing. Um, and the, the kids respect that, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. So teachers do not talk about the who is in the particular groups. We all know that this is confidential. Um, the kids believe us. We share stories. Um, they really, they seem very, very supportive of one another within the group. Um, but when we see having, because I teach fifth grade, when I see some of the seventh graders who might be in my particular group, um, I can I can see that, okay, some of these traits really bore out over the past couple of years. So you started the program last year, and it kicks off with this Case Western Reserve-led scoring of the entire student population of all the students that, unless their parents had them opt out. This would be the seventh graders, yes. Seventh graders. Okay, great. And then what happens from there? We actually start by letting our seventh grade community parents, students know that we plan on going forward with Preventure, give them some background information. Everybody's in. It's an opt-out. At that time, parents could opt-out. We administer the actual survey to the students and identify, on average, 40% of the students have one of these four tendencies. We notify those parents. Uh, they can, again, opt-out. In terms of a timeline, we start before school. Uh, the first uh, administration we did, or the administration of the survey we did in September, notification early October, and then uh, late October, November, we actually ran the groups. Um, after we notify parents that they have uh, one of these four tendencies and we plan on having um, a, a time with our teachers and counsel our counselors, to equip them with the skills and a training as part of Preventure, uh, they can also opt out again. So we do give them three times to opt out, but at the same time, we're educating in about Preventure and teaching, you know, and, and sharing what the, the program is uh, for them to ask questions or, or seek more information. I, th I think it's important to know we did have a, a very small percent opt out this past year. Um, that was uh, actually very encouraging. Next, Chris gave me an overview of the Preventure workshops. Tell the children that these are, as they come, and we had um, approximately nine in each of the groups, um, we tell them that it is a good decision-making workshop. We don't put, um, we don't give them a trait. We don't uh, put them in a particular box. We just say we're all here for good decision-making. Um, they each get a work, 
um, a workbook that is geared toward their particular trait with different scenarios, different vignettes. Um, we add, they are fully engaged. We do the, the volunteers are um, the leaders. We're the facilitators of the group, but the kids are the ones who do the work. So we talk about a variety of things. Um, we share a couple of stories to get them started um, of our own and, and tell them, remember, this is all confidential. So they're already buying in. We're already, we're becoming a team. We're becoming a group. Um, so they do the work. We go through the um, workbook in three one-hour sessions. We collect the workbooks. We do not have them take the workbooks home. Um, there is, on our second session, we do have homework. And so as we go through and we keep giant post-it notes on the wall, we jot down different things. We have, we have goals. We start off with goal setting. What would they like to do in four or five years? Where would they like to be? So we continually go back to that. What would, what would be problematic? What would prevent them from getting there? You know, and and so when we continually go back to these kinds of things, they can, you see the wheels turning, you see some of the thoughtfulness go on. Um, at the end of the three sessions, we have them take home the workbook and we ask them to share it with their parents. It's up to them. The parents know that we have the three sessions. They know when the sessions are. We ask the children to take home the, the workbook, share it with their parents, and then we have them do a survey. For us, just to see without no names, just to see how much was this useful to them? Did they feel that they learned something about themselves? Did they feel that when there was a choice to be made, that they they could they had tools in order to assist them in making that choice? How do you think the kids and the parents have responded to this overall? I think by virtue of the fact that we had fewer opt-out, um, I think that the community has gotten um, a good sense of what it is we're doing. And so I think there's a comfort level there, which is a good thing. The fact that teachers are running it and they know their teachers, um, I think that's also been a very, very good thing. Um, we had, with the kids themselves, they don't have to return each week. There's nothing that says they have to be there, yet everyone came back in our group. So that was a good thing. There are a lot of choices, and there's a lot of, there's not a command performance here. The kids know that they have a choice, um, and I think that that's a very, very helpful thing for them. Aaron? I, I just would add, I can think of three conversations that I had with parents this year. Uh, parents who had questions, because there is like a mystery to this. Parents want to know which group my kid is in and what did you identify him and who knows, right? And um, Sure. They probably have to be a little bit in your face on that. Absolutely. I can think of three conversations that I, I wouldn't say it was aggressive or confrontational, but uh, we have some very savvy parents that are very, very smart in our community and they, they want to know, you know, where are you sending my kid? What are you doing with them? And we had a really good conversation. As part of those three conversations and, and through our conversation, their research on prevention, all, th all three of these parents said, listen, I, I know that I'm asking you a lot of questions, putting you on your heels a little bit and tough questions, but this is good for kids. I'm happy that the school is taking action to equip and train, to be involved. 
and um, we're really appreciative of it. So, and they said, please don't take our questions as disapproval. Um, but we're really glad that this is something that the school's investing in and, and equipping our kids with. Next, we discuss their plans to measure the success of the Preventure program at Bay Middle School. Well, we have a uh, couple things. <laughs> we, have, uh, we have created a secondary, I guess you would call it, um, youth risk behavior survey that can target the children who have participated in the Preventure program. So for the next three times that they take the YRPS, we will be able to monitor their responses because they are the ones who have participated in this targeted program. So we, um, the Youth Risk Behavior Survey is this incredible survey that's given by CASE each year. And Bay has participated in it since 2002. And it is a, a report of students reporting about their own behavior. It's completely highly confidential, not uh, no names are ever known, uh, grade level. That might, that might be the only thing that's known is uh, what grade level the kid is that answers the question. And that's the power of it. The kids are free then to answer the questions honestly, and they know that there's no consequences associated with it. Yeah. We've proven time and time again that not one person at the school ever sees um, their responses or um, anything. And we just receive the results. And we have a longitudinal 18-year um, study on what we've discovered about children and their behaviors, their drug use, their alcohol use, whether they smoke, if they smoke early. Everyone knows if a kid starts drinking at the age of 13 or earlier, they're more prone to be an alcoholic or have uh, alcohol problems later on in life. So we are trying to catch by data the things that are naturally happening to kids, and we try to respond to those things. So that is one way that um, by having the special administration of the YRBS, we are going to be able to at least track the kids' responses over the course of time. And did it have any impact as far as the percentage of when they first used marijuana or if they ever used marijuana or any of the questions that are asked on the YRBS? An another thing that we're hoping to implement, which isn't uh, truly part of the prevention program is that we are looking to um, implement uh, maybe a booster shot for kids as they enter the eighth grade and um, uh, second semester of their eighth grade year, excuse me, and um, that we can have a review session of possibly an hour or so with those kids in the same setting that they were in as seventh graders and go back over the goals that they had talked about, they will have had a year and a half of life that um, ha they've experienced, and they will have changed as, a, um, as an adolescent. And we could hopefully help them in their uh, hot uh, thoughts that they might have from the program and their goals, and that maybe that we can help them and even help us. We have a giant Washington, D.C. trip that happens every spring and hopefully help the kids with their behavior there. We've just had recent correspondence with uh, the University of Montreal 
They love the idea of us having a, a little booster shot for our eighth graders. Uh, they have given us some uh, further ideas as to how we can um, cause that to be very worthwhile for our children. The children here at the middle school discover that they have two more adults, trusting, loving adults in their life that can have an impact on their life. And that's one of the great things that have happened. You know, we always tell people, well, the good news is we're like every other community in America. And the bad news is the exact same. We're like every other community. Our problem is that we've had 20 kids that have died from um, uh, drug overdoses or drug use or suicide based on drugs. And um, we, we've chosen to do something about it. I want to pivot back to you, Aaron, and ask for you to uh, comment and maybe speak to uh, other schools out there, other middle schools that maybe you're considering a program such as this, what advice would you give to them? I'd say go for it. The, um, the thing that I, there's two, two things that I really have been impressed with uh, about Preventure and Bay Middle School. The first Jim just talked about was an intentional contact, intentional uh, relationship with two teachers, staff members, guiding a group of eight or nine kids and building connection relationships um, that demonstrate genuine care and love. That's, that, that's a win every single time. Um, the second thing that I like that I would encourage schools to seriously consider is that it, it, the, the training equips kids, it equips students with thought processes and tools to use when presented when they find themselves in situations uh, that they have a tendency to make possibly bad decisions. But I, th I think the, the strength is that these characteristic qualities can be absolute strengths for children too that is highlighted in this. For example, we have people that are risk takers, right? You think, oh man, they could make some really bad decisions, make bad risky judgment and hurt themselves. But at the same time, risk takers are our entrepreneurs of the world. There are there are there are people that are willing to to challenge the process in, in civic government or in our world and some of our best leaders. Some of our best leaders are risk takers. And I think um, there's an incredible value in equipping seventh grade students and eighth grade students with saying, listen, you have this tendency. It could end up being something that could hurt you, but it's such a great quality to have and become a leader in our world, in our community, in our city uh, that we really want to lean on this for. So it's not just this is bad, don't. It's here's how you can have a framework to make decisions. And by the way, this quality is something that is really special and could really make a positive difference. I think for middle schools, middle school leaders, middle school teachers, that's something that people would be attracted to every time they hear it. Outstanding. We've been joined today by Aaron Ereditario, the principal of Bay Middle School, Chris Malarkey, a social studies teacher, very involved in the rollout of the Preventure program, and Jim Cahoon, a retired principal who was instrumental in initiating the program at Bay Middle School. Together, they introduced us to this unique 
in-school prevention program to reduce drug and alcohol use by identifying high-risk teenagers by personality-based screening and matching those at risk with the associated prevention programming. The cost to roll out the Preventure program at Bay Middle School was about $15,000 in the first year and $5,000 per year thereafter. While it's too early in the rollout to report results on how successful the program has been, here's a YouTube clip from Dr. Conrad sharing what they've learned. What we've shown over a number of trials, this was a Canadian trial, this was the F efficacy trial, and this is now the effectiveness trial, is that we generally produce a 50% reduction in the likelihood of a young person taking up binge drinking. And there's very little evidence that there's a watering down of the effect when you begin to disseminate it to the community, when you start to train teachers to deliver the program. Um, these are results that were just published this month where we're also showing concurrent prevention of mental health problems. And so we're showing about 25 to 30% reduction in the onset of significant depression, um, anxiety problems, and conduct problems. We'll close with a surprise benefit of the program that was revealed in Dr. Conrad's studies. What happens by the end of the trial is they catch up to their high-risk peers. So their drinking frequency is somehow influenced by high-risk peers. And what happens in the intervention schools is that the low-risk kids who didn't even receive an intervention were somehow protected by delivering interventions to the high-risk children. If you would like to learn more about the Preventure program from the team at Bay Middle School, they'd be happy to help. In fact, you'll find all of their contact information posted with this podcast on our website, cover2.org. My name is Greg McNeil. I'm the founder of Cover 2 Resources. For the latest on community events and our podcast series, follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Cover 2 Resources. That's cover, the number two, and resources. As always, thanks for listening to this Cover 2 PPT podcast. That's people, places, and things making a difference in the opioid epidemic. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. 